Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Let's Talk About It. This is just a quick heads up that we were having some technical issues when we first started recording, so the audio sounds a little bit funky right at the beginning, but about four minutes in, everything resolved, so the rest of the audio should be clear. So yeah, thank you so much for bearing with us. guys, in today's episode, we interviewed Tommy Tai, author and host of St. Divna's Playbook podcast, a podcast about finding mental well-being as a Catholic with the help of community and the saints. Tommy is a marriage and family therapist, husband and father. In each episode, Tommy addresses different mental health issues, introduces listeners to a saint who is relevant to mental health and wellness, and responds to questions from Twitter followers. He talks about topics such as fasting and eating disorders, scrupulosity, and vocations and mental illness. In this interview, we talk about the misconceptions about mental illness, especially in church communities, practical advice for people who are struggling, and answer questions such as whether a Christian should seek out a Christian therapist. We hope you guys enjoy. So, um... Well, first, we just want to thank Tommy so much for coming on our podcast. Yes. And Tommy, can you introduce yourself? Um, who are you and what do you do? Sure. Okay. Um, my name's Tommy Tai. I'm a dad of five sons. I'm a husband. Um, I'm a cradle Catholic. I was uh, adopted by my parents when I was three weeks old and I guess baptized close to then. So I guess I've been a Catholic for that long. Um and let's see i i'm for my job i'm a marriage and family therapist in california that's like uh what what you call like a mental health therapist that you would go to um and i guess that's about it i don't know i'm just excited to be here with you guys thank you yeah, well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us and i know tommy because i found actually on twitter his podcast saint Dipna's playbook and i love it because I have myself struggled with mental health um, issues since I was young, and I've really seen that there is a gap in especially the Catholic world for addressing these issues. Um, so I guess I just wanted to ask, what was your main reason behind starting St. Divna's Playbook? Yeah, so actually I um, got invited to be a guest on a, a podcast of a couple of priest friends of mine um, called Clerically Speaking with Father Anthony and Father Harrison. Um, and they were talking about um, their experience with like mental health and um, just with symptoms that they had gone through, especially during seminary um, and how things were approached. They had an episode where they talked about that and then they invited me to come on the next episode just to kind of talk with them about it because they knew what I did for a living. Um, and when I was talking with them, uh, I felt like kind of like that same feeling that I have when I'm when I'm like meeting with people, just this sort of like energetic um, joy of kind of talk, talking about the topic just because mm -hmm. it's fascinating and we don't talk about it enough. And uh, I think uh, it's so good because people feel so alone, you know, even me, who I meet with people who are suffering from mental health issues all day long. And if I experience them, I still feel alone. Like nobody, nobody knows what right. I'm going through. So um, when I had that feeling inside, I just thought like, oh, I could like do this. I could, um, you know, share about something that I like and that's enjoyable to me and that might help some folks. Um, and that's just how it started. So I started asking people to send in questions and, and away it went. 
Yeah, that's so awesome. And I think that's so important too, because, you know, not everyone maybe has access to a really great Christian therapist. And so even just having a resource where they can go to and have questions answered, um, I just think that's so really awesome. Um, so I know Jackie and I have talked before about how churches really should be like a go-to place for people who are struggling with either mental illness or just a lot of these, a lot of these issues. Um, but sadly, oftentimes there's kind of a gap there. What do you think is the first step for parishes or churches? What's a good step they could take to better address the mental health needs of their congregants? Yeah, you know, it's really hard because I guess partly it comes down to money, right? That's like mm -hmm. the biggest issue. And especially now during this pandemic, it's it's even more difficult because everybody's struggling to, you know, even take care of their own families in this in this current climate. So that's really hard because mm -hmm. a lot of times parishes rely on um, volunteers like to break their backs and kind of help people. And that leads to a lot of gaps in things that we could be doing. But I think I always envision the... Uh, I always envisioned the idea of, you know, parishes being like hubs for communities, kind of like they used to be a long time ago, um, where everything that people needed could kind of come from the parish. Uh, we have a parish in town here, for example, that like gives out free groceries every Saturday and, you know, helps direct people on where they can get medical care or helps them where they can get like housing needs. And those kind of things are really helpful because yeah. uh, the parish becomes not just like a site for your sacraments, which is also very important, but also becomes uh, a location where you know you can go to get help and and have like non-judgmental help when you're just really hurting. So I think like having that at least in our heads is a really good place to start. Mm -hmm. um, but I think really nothing will happen until all of us kind of decide to start sharing our stories. Because one of the biggest problems is the stigma that we feel when we experience mental illness mm -hmm. or or even just, you know, symptoms of anxiety and depression that all of us go through. We feel stigmatized. We feel less than other people. We feel weak. And uh, we shouldn't feel that way because everyone who's sitting next to us in church is also suffering, right? We all yeah. are. So if we could just normalize talking about those things, I think that that would really create a culture um, where it feels safe to kind of share, safe to reach out for help. And then we can kind of go from there and build from there once we have that sort of um, safe environment for people to share, you know? But it's yeah. a big culture shift because none of us want to talk about it. Like we all want to keep it to ourselves, which is mm -hmm. just a sad, a sad sickness of our of our society, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think um, that stigma there is kind of perpetuated by the fact that we're all hesitant to share. We all like to kind of put a mask forward that we're functioning, whatever that means, or, you know, just that we're all like the same. Whereas if we all just kind of opened up and admitted like, yeah, you know, I just am kind of faking it till I make it. I'm struggling too. There would be yeah. an ease to sharing these things. Yeah. And I think especially in our Christian communities, uh, there's a, a big time feeling of like, maybe I'm not faithful enough. Maybe I'm not praying enough. Mm. Maybe someone's, you know, maybe God doesn't love me. Like there's so much extra baggage that comes along because we don't really understand mental illness really. Right. We like, We'll think of it as a punishment or think of it as if only I had more faith, God would heal me from this instead of thinking it as like, I need some treatment to be able to get help. So I think that also really makes it hard for us in a Christian setting to kind of 
share these things. Cause the last thing you need is for someone to be like, you're like, I'm so depressed. I I'm even feeling suicidal and I don't know what to do. And someone's like, well, maybe you should pray like two rosaries a day. Maybe that would help you. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's like, you guys know, I, I really think prayer helps a lot, but it's like, mm-hmm. that's not the advice that you need in that moment when you're reaching out for like serious, serious help, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of like a works-based righteousness. Like, oh, you know, if we just pray, God will take our suffering away. <laughs> right. And it's so sad because it's like, well, we know that the, the hard thing for me is sometimes we deny our human experience. It's like, mm-hmm. we know that that's not true right. because I pray all the time for relief from my anxiety and it doesn't happen all the time, right? Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So I wish we could all just like come to terms with like that. That must not be all that God is asking us to do to help ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah, I went to a very Catholic college and I definitely faced a lot of those stigmas. Um, and thankfully I did, they did have like camp counseling on campus and it was decent, but I know a lot of my like peers and such would say things to me like, oh, if you're struggling with depression, it's because you don't have enough faith in God or your mental illness is a sin or the Bible says not to be anxious. Right. And, um, oh yeah. I think we just heard something about that on the, on the Catholic Twitter, not too long ago. Did. Like, oh. And that was, yes. <laughs> Catholic Twitter is a very interesting place. <laughs> um, but what would be your response to like a listener right now who is dealing with that currently in their life? Like just hearing these phrases that are just not helpful at all. Well, I mean, the first thing I would think is that, you know, it reminds me of like uh, St. Augustine, right? He says like, pray if, as if everything depended on God and work as if everything depended on you. And I think that that's an important reminder that we can like twist a little bit for our mental health being like, pray as if it all depended on God and reach out for help as if it all depended on getting the help that you need. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's so vital to remember the way that God comes to us. I mean, we can take a step back and think about the incarnation, right? God could have stayed in heaven and offered us redemption and salvation any way he pleased, but he chose to like come to us as a human being. Mm -hmm. And after he went back to heaven, he chooses to impart his grace to us through other human beings, right? Like through people who we meet, we receive his grace through Mm -hmm. priests, through pastors, through friends and family members. And so it's so vital, I think, for people to realize that God might be wanting to help you through someone else, through a friend, through a helping professional, like all of these things are avenues that God uses to get us the help that we need. So we have to get out of this mindset of like, um, the way that God helps me feel better from my depression is I'm going to wake up one morning after praying and I'm not going to feel depressed anymore. And God is so great. He just snaps his fingers. Um, that's not like really how it works. If you like read the Bible, look at human history, look Mm -hmm. at God intervening it's by people coming into like all the great conversion stories. Like, well, St. Paul, Jesus came and converted him. Right. But like, let's think about modern saints. It's like these people came into contact with another human being who sparked the love of God in them and had a big conversion. And I just want people to remember that God uses human beings to help us. So, Mm -hmm. so that's important. The other thing is like when, uh, when we come into contact with folks like that, I think it's important to remember um, we don't owe our story to every person. Yeah. So it's like we can like uh, choose to be vulnerable with people that we can trust who, who build us up and who are sharing helpful advice. And we don't have to share everything with everybody. I know I'm always like, we got to share our mental health stories. But like if you run into a group or to someone who's like, you just don't believe enough. That's why you're suicidal. It's like, okay, I don't need to share my story with those right. people anymore. 
Um, so we have to have permission to like pick and choose who we open up to. Yeah, for sure. I think too, it's it's really good that you noted, you know, like looking to saints or even just looking at characters in the Bible. And And what I love too, is that when we look at these people in the Bible, like Elijah or Moses, oftentimes they were struggling too. You know, it doesn't specifically say like, oh, this person had anxiety or this person had depression, but we see God working through their weaknesses, working through, you know, their struggles and using them. And so I think that can be encouraging because we can look at that and say, oh, God is still at work in me. God is still using me for his glory, even though I have anxiety, even though I have depression, even though I'm, you know, struggling with these things. And yeah, I think it's so valuable for, mm -hmm. for Catholics and for Christians who are not Catholic to like look into the amazing holy men and women we've had down through the ages who yeah. have experienced mental illness. Um, like Dorothy Day is one of my most mm -hmm. like the most inspiring people to me. She tried mm -hmm. to commit suicide two yeah. different times, right? So it's these things of like people thinking, if I feel this way, God must be done with me. He must be like mm -hmm. pushing me aside. But we can see through these people's lives that, that that's not true. Like God's still working, like you said. And yeah. I think that gives me hope to see like, you know, uh, like Oscar Romero, he had like obsessive compulsive personality disorder. St. Therese, she was like really going through a lot of struggles like yeah. in her mental health. And, and these things remind me that like God makes us saints. God brings us to heaven because of like who we are through who we are not like I need to not ever be anxious ever again and then I'll be a saint mm -hmm. but God's gonna like use my anxiety use my disposition to do something powerful in me I think that's mm -hmm. a shift that we kind of have to remember a little bit too yeah I love the verse I think it's Philippians it's one or two where it says he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion mm -hmm. and I always yeah. like will just say that to myself when I do feel hopeless or discouraged it's like no, he began this work in me. He's not just going to leave me half done. <laughs> like he yeah. will bring me to completion. Yeah, definitely. And Paul says over and over, you know, God works through our weaknesses. It's yeah. through my weaknesses that God shows his greatest glory. Mm -hmm. And yeah, none of the saints, um, none of the people in the Bible are shy about their struggles. And I love that you named your podcast after St. Dimphna. And most of our listeners well, actually, I wouldn't say most of them are Catholic because Megan um, here is a Protestant. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't really know much about the saints, including St. Dimphna. So could you share a little bit about St. Dimphna and her story for our listeners, listeners who are unfamiliar with her? Sure, sure. And also, I'm so impressed that both of you guys quoted from the Bible, a Protestant and a Catholic quoting from the Bible. That's pretty amazing. That's you're destroying yes, stereotypes. So that's... <laughs> Uh, so St. Dimphna, she was uh, the daughter of like a chieftain in Ireland way back in the day, I believe like the 400s, sometime around then. Um, and she, uh, her, her dad uh, loved her mother and her mother died. Uh, and he went through a lot of grief over this. Um, and back then his friends were saying, you know, you got to get married again. Like that's the best way to overcome this grief that you're going through. Mm -hmm. um, and he, you know, started to have such deep grief that he kind of became psychotic, it seems, and um, started to think that the only person that he could marry was his daughter, who is Dimphna. Mm -hmm. um, and she had professed her virginity to God, consecrated herself to God. Her, her mother was a Christian and he was like, a, her father was a, a pagan. 
Um, and so she wasn't down for this, obviously, because that's awful. Um, and he just kept getting kind of sicker and sicker and sort of pursuing her more and more. Um, so her and a, a priest friend of hers split and they left Ireland and took off and they went to a place called Giel in Belgium. So they were hiding out there. Um, but she was such an amazing, an amazing person that she was just overcome with charity and love for other people. So she shows up in Giel and she starts helping the poor, helping the sick. And she actually starts, uh, taking care of those who are suffering from mental illness there. And she sets up like uh, sort of like a home or like a quasi hospital sort of to help take care of the people in the town who have mental illness. And this is something that like didn't exist at all back then. It was right. it was really yeah. like if you were mentally ill, you were really pushed out and cast out from from society. And she kind of took it upon herself to help them. Um, well, the problem was, is that the way she did this was she was spending her money that she had from Ireland, right? And so like word got around that some, you know, woman was spending Irish money out in Belgium. And uh, that got back to her dad, who got a couple of his friends to head over to Giel with him um, and kill the priest and his daughter. Uh, because she continued to refuse his pressure to marry him. So she was killed then. Um, and, and it's really interesting, because her her helping of the mentally ill has like revolutionized the care of mental health um, mm. in Belgium, in Giel, Belgium specifically. So if you you can go online and look into this, like this town in Belgium has done this thing where those who like in, in our country would be uh, locked up in like a long-term care facility because of their mental health issues. Um, in Giel, they're put into this program where they live with other families who open their homes mm. to have an individual live with them and be a part of their family and a part of the community. Um, and this is just like, I mean, it's like one of the most forward thinking places. And and really it goes to show that like uh, feeling loved and like being a part of a family and a community does so much for us, uh, even when we're struggling with the most intense mental illness. So St. Dimphna's um, reputation and and everything just continues to to blossom over there in Giel. And it's a huge example of, of um, how great we can do if we really just integrate everybody to work together and live together. So like all good Catholic saints, she had her head chopped off, right? Like that's kind of, I guess, <laughs> how it works out. But I think it's important because a lot of people struggle with her as the patron saint of mental illness and, and mental health workers, because I think they only hear the piece of the story uh, of, you know, basically her father got very sick and, and delusional and ended up killing her. And so they don't hear the piece of she actually went to work for helping those with mental illness. And so I think that's really crucial for people to, to hear. Yeah, that's an awesome story because she had someone in her life that she was suffering from that was struggling with mental illness and she in turn didn't create stigmas about people with mental illness she went to go help others that were struggling and i think it's that's amazing, a really yeah. yeah that's a really beautiful example um for all of us i think um i didn't know that much about her story that's awesome i knew she was the patron saint of mental health and you know as a catholic that struggled her whole life i have like a picture of saint dimphana and i've prayed for her intercession but I even I didn't realize how cool her story was. Yeah, you should go go online and uh, type in Giel Belgium and Anne Terrio, who is a, a great writer and she's on Twitter. You may have seen her many times before. She went to Giel and she wrote uh, an amazing story about St. Dimphna that really digs into like all the different details of her life. It's totally worth checking out. That's awesome. And how amazing too that God is continuing her work yeah. in that area. Isn't it so cool? It's like yeah. this this woman who lived in Ireland, like, you know, all these years ago who 
would have no idea that in 2021, we'd be on a Zoom meeting talking about her because of how great she was. It's so cool. (laughs) That's such a beautiful example of how God works through the horrible situations in our lives Mm. and the suffering and struggling that we go through. Like with her dad, that must have been such an unbearable situation. Mm -hmm. And somehow through that, he brought about this just amazing saint and story that's still having an impact today. Yeah. yeah, it's really, truly incredible and does give us hope that maybe if we can't see beyond like our present suffering, you know, what could happen that there's so many yeah. examples of saints who like, look what happened. Like, I'm sure mm-hmm. she didn't think like, oh, I'm going to be a canonized saint and people are going to ask for my right. intercession. She thought, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm going to die. This is awful. Yeah. Um, but she was just incredible. So yeah, I think a great saint to be the patron for all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. I do. I also love that you pointed out um, just the method of having people who, you know, in in maybe our culture, we would lock up or they would be in, you know, just a a mental health facility, like a hospital for probably long term. Whereas the method over there is putting them in families, putting them in community. Mm, And it's funny that you brought that up because this week I was actually just on my own doing some research on different like psych wards and mental health facilities and reading people's experiences. And I was just heartbroken that a lot of times we take these people who are really suffering and we isolate them mm-hmm. and how, how much that can really um, put a burden on them and, and really um, it doesn't help with their healing. Um, and so I just think that community support, you know, I just, God really has created us for community and we mm-hmm. do, we need others. Most definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. So what would your advice be to someone who's struggling with their mental health? Uh, and maybe they have very little support in their life from their community or their family um, for either, you know, the misconceptions we mentioned earlier or just for other reasons. What kind of encouragement or advice would you give them? Well, I mean, the first piece of encouragement would be to know that you're not alone. Uh, There's millions and millions and billions of us who are out here who are going through similar feelings, who are feeling isolated, who are really struggling day to day. And so, I I mean, I know that doesn't fix our fix our feelings and our emotions, but sometimes it does feel nice to know that there's other people who are walking along this journey with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the, the most important thing to remember is that it's a strength to reach out for help. It's not a weakness, right? Um, Something I really try to remind people of is to think about our mental health and our symptoms and our mental illness uh, in the same terms as physical illness and to really think about what would people say if you were like, uh, you know, like I have hypertension, for example, and it's like, I go to the doctor and I take medicine for hypertension and nobody in the world comes up to me and says, I can't believe you couldn't figure out how to deal with your hypertension on your own. Like you had to give in and go get medication. Like you're so weak, you know? Um, well, yeah, no, because my hypertension comes from my genetics, from my parents, and that's how I, it kind of shook down and I have to take medication for it. I, I just want people to do, to think about that when they think about depression or anxiety and to really, um, if you're a family member or a friend, to just really cast off this idea that people can just pick themselves up like, oh, you're depressed. I've been sad. Just feel better and get to work and start going and doing things like that is such a hurtful thing. So when you're suffering, I just want I want people to know 
you can reach out for help in so many different ways. You can you can text a crisis line. That's like a lot easier because you're texting with someone instead of calling. Mm. You can ask your primary care doctor for a referral to a mental health worker. You can call like your mental health access line. Like most counties in the United States have a mental health access line and you can see what you can get connected to. You can get online and sort of like find a community. I know it's not always great on online on social media, but there is community there of a lot of people who are who are going through things and you can really find a niche to get support if it's hard to get support on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. um, it just, I need people to kind of learn to hear that reaching out for help shows that you have strength. Because like you were saying, like we're built for community, we're built to help yeah. each other, we're supposed to help each other get to heaven. Um, if we think and we fall into this maybe uniquely American trap of like, you're supposed to be able to take care of yourself. And if you can't, you're, mm -hmm. you're weak. Um, if we can avoid falling into that, we will do better because the Christian message is all of our sisters and brothers are here to help us uh, and to support each other and to get each other to heaven. And um, part of getting to heaven is walking alongside those who are suffering and allowing people to walk alongside us when we're suffering. So I know it's hard. I know it's really hard to make a call or to tell someone that you need help, but um, when you look back, it's just so worth it. You know, it's so worth it to be able to feel understood and to just even just have someone sit with you when you're suffering and not try to fix anything uh, mm -hmm. can really go a long way. Yeah. And I also think, you know, COVID with all of the uh, terrible, horrible things it brought, it also brought a lot of awareness into even just virtual help, you know, mm -hmm. because I know both Jackie and I see a therapist uh, virtually <laughs> over like a kind of a FaceTime. And so those tools now are more available and accessible. And I think that that is a good, you know, movement to for people who may be in their area, they don't have access to a good therapist or mental health counselor, that they can do that virtually, um, that that's a great resource to have available. Yeah, it's wonderful for breaking down those barriers, even of like transportation of people who don't have a yeah. car and can't get somewhere to be able to do that is so nice. Yeah. And kind of um, flipping that question, we had a few people when they knew a Catholic therapist was coming on, ask us some questions. And someone asked, what is something helpful I can say or do if I have a friend that's really struggling with their mental health? Um, they were asking, like, what are the things that are not helpful to say? And what can I say <laughs> and do that actually, you know, will help this person? There's a billion things that are not helpful to say, huh? And we all probably have said it at one time or another. Um, you know, I think the most unhelpful things are like blaming them, um, kind of making them feel uh, like it's their fault, like making them feel like, like you said, like hearing that they don't get have enough faith, like that's so mm -hmm. hurtful. Um, and I mean, I, I, it's so frustrating, right? Because it's like, I think about Jesus in the garden, like begging for oh. things that are going to happen to not happen and crying. And I think about Mary saying how anxiously they were looking for Jesus and how anxious she felt when they couldn't find Jesus when he's stuck in the temple. Like, it's so it's so ridiculous to think that that Jesus and Mary didn't have enough faith. And so they felt this way. I mean, give me a break. Right. So it doesn't have anything to do with that. But um, so just listen. And I think the important things are to ask people what you can do for them. Like, how would you like me to help you? That's like a really good question. Or like, what can I do to be able to help you? 
the other thing, the flip side of that is sometimes when we're suffering, we don't know what we want people to do. So like when my wife and I were going through very intense grief, we had friends who um, just showed up without asking with a meal and just said, here's a meal. Like I'm going to go. I just wanted to give it to you guys, take it or leave it and would leave. So that's helpful because we didn't have to um, call them and say, Hey, can you cook it? Like, that's hard to like, to do that. So just doing something for someone is nice. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, a really helpful thing I think is to share our own experience. So like I do this with my kids, right? Like, uh, if I see that my kids are, are anxious or getting upset, or they're feeling hopeless because of something at school, I can sit down with them. And instead of like saying, well, you should do this and then do this, I can say, Hey, you know what, when I was in fifth grade, like I remember crying because I couldn't like figure out how to multiply fractions or whatever it is. Um, I remember feeling so anxious because I had lost the homework or, and, and this is kind of what happened and this is how I dealt with it. And this is how I got help for it. You know, using an example from our own life um, to let people know that, that you've been there. Like, I think one thing that we should all kind of break down probably is um, I would assume uh, that most of us at some point in our life have at least felt like um, what we would call like passively suicidal, at least meaning, you know, what's the point? Like, I really don't want to go on anymore. Maybe yeah. I could just go to sleep and not wake up. So that's very different from like, I'm feeling like I'm going to do some action to take my life. But I think most of us have at least felt that way at some point in our life. And I think being able to share that um, can really break down some barriers for people who feel super depressed, right? Like, mm-hmm. I have also felt so hopeless that I wish that I was dead. But you know what? Like now I've had moments of joy since then, which have like really been helpful for me. And these are some things that I did when I was feeling that way to kind of help me get to this other point. Uh, And if you want that help, like I'm willing to help. I'm willing to help drive you to a therapist. I'm willing to help make the call with you or to sit here because it's Mm -hmm. scary to call a phone number. Um, I think those things are really important. I remember when I was, when my wife and I were going through this grief in our own life, like, uh, just having someone who come over and sit on the couch who wasn't scared about us talking about yeah. the thoughts that we were having or the yeah. things we were feeling, that felt good. Because most people would, even our close friends would be like, ah, like they wouldn't say this, right. but they were too scared to hang out to like listen to what we were saying about what we were thinking. So just mm-hmm. sitting with someone in the suffering is a good place to start too. Sorry, that was a lot. That was too much. No, that was, <laughs> no, that was perfect. Mm-hmm. And I know in the story of Job, who is, you know, he's known for suffering a lot in the Bible. (laughs) And the best things his friends did for him was when they just sat with him in the suffering and they didn't like try to give him advice because that's when things went really wrong when they they tried to give him advice. And I think it's, it's really important when your friends are suffering just to be there and not try to say the right things. Because if someone's dealing with, you know, severe suicidal thoughts, you probably can't say something that's just going to fix their problems. And a lot of times that's what I've dealt with our friends when I was dealing with that, that wanted to just say something and just fix it and it be done. And they had good intentions, but then they weren't willing. Some of them weren't willing to stick around when I didn't get better super quickly. So just having those friends that walked with me in the journey of going through really severe depression and anxiety and, I was really blessed to have a mentor when I was in college who was a nun and she actually walked with me to go to the uh, clinic on campus to get counseling. Like she showed up with me because she knew that I couldn't do it. Just show up on my own and just having, yeah, just having someone that just listened to me say like, I want to die and all of these different things without judgment. And then actually went with me and walked with me and brought me to 
the clinic to sign up for my first like counseling session. That was so helpful. And that is because it's scary, right? Like I see oh, when people yeah. walk into our <laughs> clinic and I'm like, hey, tell me what's going wrong in your life. Like tell this stranger all the awful things that are going on in your life. That's mm -hmm. terrifying. Right. So having an advocate with you is such a big deal. And I, I was yeah. reminded when you were talking about um, uh, Father Damien Ferentz, one time he told me, um, that the word condolences, like that we always all, always say like, oh, my condolences, that mm. uh, it comes from, you know, con dolor, which means like to suffer with someone. And mm. I think that's something that we've lost, right? So when we're, when someone's suffering, we want to like suffer with them. Mm. I think like remembering that can be very helpful because sometimes that's all that people need. That's yeah. something that all husbands have to realize eventually, right? It's like, you don't need to fix everything. You just need to sit and sit and listen to what's going on. So like maybe as a society, we can all learn that, that thing that all husbands struggle with learning all the time. <laughs> I also think too, um, prayer, is, we know prayer is really powerful, but I've found too that just even asking someone, could I pray for you right now and praying mm. with them out loud because sometimes, you know, truly we, we don't know what to say, you know, and it, and it can be really scary to enter into intense suffering with someone, you know, because there's, there's just a lot of unknown and, um, and some, sometimes, you know, we can just truly even not know where they're coming from. Maybe they're suffering with something or, or grief that we haven't experienced and we haven't mm -hmm. been through. And so you can't really say, I know what you're going through because that would be a lie, but we can mm -hmm. pray. And I think just allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through us to that person in our prayer can be really helpful as well. Obviously, if they're not ready or they, they don't want that, you know, that's why asking is important. But I've found too that just in moments where I, I truly didn't have any words, just allowing yourself in that space and asking the Holy Spirit to speak through you to that person because the Bible calls the Holy Spirit our comforter. Mm -hmm. And so just, you know, taking a moment, stepping back and be like, okay, I can't fix this, but Lord, you can, you can truly comfort them. You can offer them your peace. And so just praying for them can be really, really helpful. Yeah, definitely. And I was also thinking uh, when people were praying for us, um, it was something that really struck me even when I was jaded about prayer and like feeling mm -hmm. very angry at God um, mm -hmm. was when somebody would reach out and say that they were going to fast for us. Like, I'm not oh, going yeah. to eat lunch today for you. Um, mm -hmm. That was powerful because like at some point you get kind of um, like when you're really suffering, sometimes you can get really jaded with prayer and think like, yep. oh, you're going to pray for me. Great. Thanks. Like right. it doesn't do anything. Right. Like sometimes it feels that way. Yeah. Um, but when someone's like, I'm going to actively not eat a meal and I'm going to be like having hunger pangs and remembering it and offering it up for you. That was like I thought, oh, wow, like this random person on Twitter said that to me. And I'm like, oh, my God, like you're that's incredible. Like, yeah. I can't believe you're doing that. And. Um, so I think that's something we can remember too. I should say, of course, like whenever I talk about fasting, I like to say that people really understand if you have issues with like body image and eating disorder issues, like mm -hmm. that's something that you should think about and, and not feel compelled to do something like that. But if that's not something that you're going through, it can be a very powerful uh, tool for people to feel like your love and support. Yeah. I should mention as someone that has struggled with an eating disorder and couldn't fast for a very long time um from food at least fasting from like social media or something else which is like what i had to fill that in during lent especially is sure. 
a good idea. Um, a little off topic, but if someone's listening and has questions about fasting, it's good. Do not fast from food. If you yeah. have had issues with eating, um, you can definitely it's fast so important. My gosh, <laughs> especially as Catholics, we're so like drilled into yeah. this, like uh, everything is by the rules and it's you have to have this structure. Yeah. And if you're not doing it right, then you're you're bad. But like, that's not how the church is. The church is so loving and compassionate and understanding and like, you know what I mean? So sometimes we can get so trapped and we should think, no, I have to fast. Like, that's what they tell me. I can't eat on Ash Wednesday. And it's like, no, God knows what you're going through, like better than you know what you're going through. And he's going to he wants to he wants to meet you where you're at. You know what I mean? So I think that's something we have to really remember <laughs> that God is like yeah. loving, compassionate, understands, gets it. Um, and if some jerk with like an anonymous Twitter account oh, is like, oh, you're fasting from social media, like you suck. It's like, not a real fast. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, be at peace, be at peace with that. Yes. <laughs> so I know we've spoken about how important um, community is and having friends that really can walk with you in the suffering. And as you said before, we do all struggle with our mental health in some way at some point. But um, actually, it was another listener's question. When do we when do we know that we need to reach out for that extra step of going to a counselor instead of just having a mentor or a friend be there for us when we need someone that's actually trained in mental health counseling to help us through something? Um, what are the signs of knowing when it's time to do that? Sure. So there's definitely some signs that we should pay attention to. But the first thing I like to tell people is uh, you can go to see a counselor or to see a doctor or to see a psychiatrist whenever. I, I don't want people to think like I haven't suffered quite enough because Tommy said that you have to, you know, not be taking a shower for three days or something like that. Like <laughs> people need to realize that even when you're healthy, you're going to work, you're going to school, you're doing all these things, you still could benefit from going to therapy because having an outside perspective on what's happening in your life and in your mind is so valuable. And a therapist is so valuable because they're not your family and friends. So they don't have all of these uh, things that they carry with them into the conversation because of your relationship. They can help you look at things objectively to give you another angle, right? So, so you, if you feel like you should go to therapy or you might need therapy, you should try. And when you go to therapy, it's not like you went and you're like, well, I guess I got to see this person every week for the next 10 years of my life. You can always quit. You can always switch therapists. You can, you can walk away. Like we're so used to that as therapists and we don't take it personally. So if you're curious, try it out. If after two sessions, you're like, yeah, you know, this is kind of not for me. Great. Stop coming and then try later in the future if you need to. So that's the first thing I would say is you can always reach out mm -hmm. for help. Mm -hmm. um, but really, like the way that we look at things is in terms of our functioning, like that's the most important thing. So when our symptoms of anxiety or depression or trauma or anything that we're going through uh, starts to impact our ability to function, that's when we know it's really, really time for us to reach out for help. So this is things like, um, you know, when you're not sleeping anymore, when you're uh, not being able to follow through on your responsibilities at work, like you're not turning things in on time, right? When you stop hanging out with friends, when you're not really taking care of yourself as good as you used to, like your hygiene, even something as basic as that, you're not really eating as well. You know, these things where these things that we have to do to like function, like we said, function in quotes, but like to be able to like be functioning well, social interactions, school and work responsibilities, paying bills, like all of these things. Mm -hmm. If our depression and anxiety starts to interfere with any of that, 
uh, it's really time to like take a step back and look, you know, I mean, there's things in our life that should be bringing us joy every once in a while. And so like, if you feel like, wow, you know, when I was playing with my kids six months ago, it really made me feel this just incredible joy. And now when I'm playing with them, I don't feel anything. Um, that kind of stuff is like, okay, there's something going on that really needs to be addressed, you know? Um, so I, I would look at how you're doing. The other cool thing about that is how you're doing is usually objective. So I'm talking about very objective things, right? Like, do I still get up every morning and take a shower? Do I still, you know, get to work on time? Do I still go out and hang out? I know we don't hang out with our friends anymore, but do I still like text with them, text with them, call them, like stay connected to them? Or am I not doing those things? Those are more objective than like, well, how am I doing? Am I doing pretty okay? Sure, I'm doing kind of okay, right? We have to look at like objective things to kind of trigger that response of maybe it's time for me to take a step back and get help. Um, and it's like the, mo the, the takeaway is like, we weren't meant to do this on our own. So yeah. we have to remember that. We have to remember that um, that's not how God created us, right? From the very beginning, like he, he realized that like the one guy couldn't take care of himself and couldn't, couldn't handle things on his own. And so there's Eve to help out. And it just carries throughout history that, um, that humanity needs to be a community helping each other. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's very practical. And I feel like, you know, just, you know, if you're listening, just taking that moment of self-examination can be really, really beneficial. Um, and also I know, so the very, very first time I ever went to see a counselor, I was like shaking the whole time. I felt like I was going to throw up. <laughs> I was so anxious. And when I got there, I just remember her looking at me and saying, it was so brave of you to come today. Mm, yeah. And I think that's just important to note too, that it's not a sign of weakness to reach out for help. It's a sign of bravery. It's a sign of strength because you're willing to, you're willing to get better. You're committed to getting healthy, you're committed to working through and processing, you know, therapy isn't easy. And so I think, you know, even just flipping that idea around of like, oh, well, I have to like, be really bad and like almost dying before I go to, you know, counseling or therapy. Right. No, it's, it's what you do when you want to heal when you want to work through and process trauma when you you know, it's, it's a very brave, it's a very, it takes a lot of strength. And so that's right. Yeah. And um, that's, we tell people that all yeah. the time, like this was a decision that took a lot of strength. Like yeah. that shows that you have a lot of strength and we can have a lot of hope and like what's going to happen next because of how brave you were. Right. So I think yeah. that's such an important point to drive home. Yeah. Yeah. Now what I, a cool therapist that they said that to you. Good for I them. Know, I know. <laughs> and I know, so you're a mental health counselor uh, and you are also Catholic so do you think it's necessary if you are a Christian or a Catholic to go to a therapist or a counselor who is Catholic or Christian? I 100% do not think that it's necessary. And I know people mm -hmm. get shocked when they, I get so many questions of like, how do I find a good Catholic counselor? And, yeah. and I'm always like, don't like just find a counselor <laughs> to help you. So it's um, I know we can get hung up on this because we feel like especially right now at this point in time in our culture, like, well, a therapist just won't understand where I'm coming from. A therapist will tell me that I should just leave my spouse. A therapist will, you know, tell me X, Y, and Z that I just can't do. And they'll think I'm weird because I do this and that because I'm Christian. Um, not really. That's not really how it works. Um, we meet with people from all different faith backgrounds, no faith backgrounds, all different cultures. And, and most of the therapists I've ever met, all the therapists I've ever met are, are really there to meet people where they're at and say something like, 
tell me what's important to you. Tell me what you value and, and like, let me learn about like what you value and let's try and find a solution to what you're going through within that value system. I mean, that's what we all do. So Mm -hmm. it's important, I think, to seek out a therapist who has the skills to help you with what you're going through way more important than than finding somebody who shares your faith right Mm -hmm. because also like as christians i mean we should take a step back like if i'm like i'm gonna go find a catholic therapist like you know there's a billion catholics on this planet does every catholic uh have the same faith and ideas that i have not even close like we're i'm drastically different than lots of catholics there's you know and so it it doesn't even necessarily like follow that if i found a therapist with a crucifix on the wall that they're going to even be able to relate to where i'm coming from right but if I'm dealing with OCD and I have these compulsions that I have to do to be able to feel safe and it's ruining my life, a therapist who knows about OCD is going to change my life, is going to help me. And and going to a, a Christian therapist who doesn't have any clue about how to treat OCD is going to harm me. You know, it's not going to do me any good whatsoever. So I think that's the more important thing. And I think you really have to have uh, faith in the fact that um, in the mental health world, we try so hard to be uh, non-judgmental, to be really encouraging, and and like I said, to really learn about where, what a person's life is like and what their value system is like to to help them. So there's no therapist in the world who's like, you know, you're like, well, I I'm Catholic, I will never get a divorce. There's no therapist who's like, well, you got to get a divorce. Like that's the <laughs> that's how it works. Right. Um, that's just not it. That's not how we're here to help you. So again, like seek out somebody who can help you with what you're going through more importantly mm-hmm. than someone who mm-hmm. shares your faith background. I think that's my opinion. I know there's lots of people who would argue with me, but mm-hmm. um, I've just heard so many stories of people who are like, I found a Catholic therapist and I went to them and they told me X and that didn't feel good. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think too, you know, if, if we are struggling like spiritually, like with our faith or we have questions or we want someone like that, like that's an amazing role for a spiritual director or a mentor or a pastor or a priest. Um, if we're struggling with, you know, an anxiety disorder, (laughs) it's really great for someone who specializes in anxiety to help us with, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever. And so, you know, it's, it's okay to also like, go see a mentor or a spiritual director and a therapist or counselor. Definitely. Yeah. Like, exactly. It doesn't mean you have to like pick one or the other. That's a hundred percent right. Very good point. Yeah. And any good ther- therapist, I took one therapy class in college. And the one <laughs> thing I learned that was important is that you're supposed to adapt to their worldview. Mm-hmm. So any good therapist will adapt to your worldview and won't be judgmental. So if they aren't, they're just not a good therapist and you need to find a new one. <laughs> right. Definitely. Yeah. Please always feel free to hit the road. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there's other therapists out there. And I think, you know, it's important to know if they do something like that. Yeah, this isn't going to work. I need to mm-hmm. move on. But people have to realize that also therapy is about a relationship. So yeah. sometimes I could have the best intentions as a therapist, but the person who comes in, we just don't have that relationship it just doesn't click and Mm -hmm. and i think both of you guys kind of can feel it like the person coming in for help and the therapist it's like it just isn't going to work here and so i want people to to also feel free if like you're just like "Eh, i mean they're all right they had some good ideas but i just didn't feel like it just didn't click find a different therapist too because like i bet your therapist is thinking like gosh i just can't i can't make it click i don't know how to help this person exactly and Mm -hmm. um you when you find someone who you 
you know, within like minutes, it's like, okay, this person gets it and they understand where I'm coming from. That's where like the healing can happen. Right. So I think that's important. It's not like a doctor, like any doctor with any personality, they could be the biggest jerk. They can write me my prescription for my hypertension (laughs) meds and it gets better. So that's Uh fine. It doesn't matter like what they, what they're like, like what Mm -hmm. they're, you know, but a therapist, it's the relationship that does part of the healing, right? Like the trust that you build, the interaction that you have. So I think that that's important to remember. You can leave and not feel bad about it and find Mm -hmm. someone else. It makes all the difference in the world. I know as a recovering people pleaser, (laughs) I have definitely had experiences in the past where I knew it wasn't working. I knew I wasn't really clicking with a counselor and I would pretend that it was. And we can tell, we can tell when you're doing that. (laughs) Yeah. As if she didn't know. So it's like, oh yeah, the thing you told me to do really helped. It really made a difference. I'm like, I I don't know. I didn't have any panic attacks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so that's important. It's important to be honest and to know that our feelings don't get hurt if you if you move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tommy, for coming on yeah. and talking with us about this. I know that we talked about in the beginning of the interview how this is often a topic that people are so afraid mm-hmm. to talk about and bring into the light. And that's the heart behind our entire podcast is to bring to light the topics that are messy, that are laced with a lot of shame and bring them into the light because that is where we can find healing and dispel that shame that often are around these topics. And mental mm-hmm. health is definitely something that we're often afraid to talk about. So we're so thankful that you came on and, you know, talked about these things with us. And I think it's going to be so beneficial for our listeners. Oh, well, it was so much fun. And again, it gives me uh, so much life to talk about this stuff. So thank you so much. And and what a great idea for a podcast to bring these topics out because we're all yearning to talk about it, but none of us will. So it's nice that you guys are willing to do that. It's just lovely. Mm -hmm.